Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. Pastor Eric Ludy loves unique and intriguing titles, and this one may top all. This message is entitled, Life as a Grape. God has deposited His life inside of us. For what purpose? To be spilled out for those around us. And suffering for the gospel's sake is the primary means which God uses to spill out the lifeblood of His saints. On a personal note, this is one of my all-time favorite messages by Eric. So please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I know that this is a humorous sounding title. This is not a humorous message. Uh, Life is a grape. I've had two weeks to prepare for this message, and it was a study in... It was a two-week study in death, <clears throat> a strange thing to study. However, what sounds like a dismal topic to study is exactly opposite when you study it in Scripture. And the, the message that this is is going to prick at your comfort zones, unlike most messages. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't say unlike most messages. Maybe beyond what most messages. It's, there's a message that we give at Ellerslie called Extraordinary Courage, and it's basically about dying well. It's, it's what the theme of a, an entire message is at Ellerslie. And this has a little bit of extraordinary courage in it. It's about dying well. However, it's beyond that. Uh, originally, I was going to be doing a message on dying in the faith, which sounds like a strange concept, but it's the concept of... Even up until your dying breath, you believe. Just because it's your dying breath doesn't mean you stop believing. Because what's going to happen in the next breath after you die? After you breathe your last in this earth and you breathe your first of heavenly air, what are you going to see? That everything you believed in was true. So when you die in the faith, it's not that you just die in despair. You die to walk right into the fulfillment of everything that you've trusted in your entire life. That's not what this message is on, though. That's what I thought it was going to be on. Life is a grape, the story of a grape. I am going to introduce you to your life calling as a Christian, and it's going to be through a very unusual corridor. I'm going to liken you and myself to a grape. And I I recognize it's a strange thing to be compared to. The Bible has a lot of interesting comparisons. I mean, right when you think you're strong, it compares you to sheep. And, you know, sheep are one of the dumbest, if not the dumbest animal on planet Earth, And that's what we get likened to. And we oftentimes take it as a compliment until you you start studying sheep. You're like, what? What do you mean I'm a sheep? And how about for all of us guys, we're the bride. It's like, what? We're the bride. There's a lot of very interesting metaphors that are pictured in Scripture. Well, this is one of them that is rather difficult to wrap your mind around. The story of a grape. In the Hebrew culture, the pressing of the grapes took place in September and was accompanied with great rejoicing. What I just read to you is an extremely important line. I know it might not have context yet, but I want you to see if you can hold on to it. Let me read it again. In the Hebrew culture, the pressing of the grapes took place in September and was accompanied with great rejoicing. The pressing of grapes is accompanied with great rejoicing. Okay, are you prepared now? Maybe you don't understand yet where we're going with this. The ripe grapes were gathered into baskets and carried to the wine press. It was then placed in an upper vat for treading. There are two vats. 
Okay, there's a vat for treading where you actually get into the vat and stomp on the grapes. This is with rejoicing, shouts of joy, because what is being produced out of the grapes? The juice of the grapes is going out and actually going into a lower vat. And so what you are treading is to express out of those grapes its life, its juice. So it was then placed in an upper vat for treading. A certain amount of juice exuded from the ripened grapes simply due to the initial weight of the harvest in the vat. And so what happens is you put in all the grapes, and because of the weight of the initial harvest is all just put into the vat, there's a certain weight that's pressed upon it, which causes certain grapes to leak a little. They're sort of exuding out. They haven't even yet been tread, but they exude out an initial juice. The initial juice that exuded was called the sweet wine and was kept separate from the rest of the juice. New wine, sweet wine. When the apostles in, uh, in Acts chapter 2 were accused of being drunk, they were, being dr- they were accused of being drunk with new wine or sweet wine. The initial juice that comes forth out of the treading of the grapes. I don't know if you can see the profound nature of that. That even those that didn't believe in Christ beheld something and accused them of something that was very true. They were drunk, not on the world's wine, but on a different sort of wine that was the initial expression from the grape. And there was much more treading still to come. But the initial one was kept separate. The treading then commenced and was affected by one or more men depending on the size of the vat. So depending on how many men you can fit into the vat. You've seen some of those big wooden vats where you can get a whole, you know, you know, 12 people in it type of a thing. And they dance around and they do things. It's always very merry. That's what's funny. But if you're a grape, it doesn't seem like it'd be one of your moments to be rejoicing, would it? They encouraged one another by shouts. Their legs and clothing were stained, with, stained red with the blood of the grape. And the express juice escaped by an aperture into the lower vat, or was once, or was at once collected into vessels. Two different options: either it's being collected into another vat, or they're literally sticking new vessels up to catch the new wine that is coming out, and they seal it. And now they have carrying devices for this wine. I don't know if this is linking you with the gospel yet, but we'll keep going. There's a picture of a grape. If any of you are wondering what a grape is, there's some grapes, okay? (laughs) Back in ye olden days, uh, you would actually have men that could prepare even juice for a king by taking a cluster of grapes and squeezing it into a cup. But what you see is you see a grip, and you see what happens is that which is within the grape comes out when the squeezing begins. I know this is obvious, but I want you to recognize as we go through that the squeezing is imperative to the releasing of the life. Here's uh, a typical wine press, and more of a modern day wine press. However, it sort of looks old fashioned if you look at it. Now, what you can't see is what's going on on the inside, but this is the upper vat into the lower, in this case, container. It's not a vat, but it's a container. You're going to have to liken yourself to the container in this, and you need to liken yourself to the grape. But the grape, if we were to start right back at the beginning with Jesus Christ, in this picture, you're the container. And Jesus Christ was crushed so that his life might be able to be poured into you. 
And so there's just a, a picture of it. Now, what you can't see is what's going on on the inside, and that's the pressing. That's called a, a press cake. I want to... A press cake, I think, is what the official term for it is. Uh, not very attractive. That's a whole bunch of pressed grapes. And I don't know how many of you just want to take out a spoon and dig into that. Uh, that's just sort of, I don't know, it might taste good for all I know. It's called a cake. Uh, I don't know, maybe they do eat it. I have no idea. I didn't study the history of pressed cakes and what they do with it. They throw it in the trash or do they eat it? Uh, but it doesn't sound very good to me. I might pass on that. Do you want to bite a press cake? No, thank you. I'll take the juice, though. In other words, what is coming out of this vat is the value, is the glory. The purpose of this vat is not to create a press cake. Can we agree on that? It's not to hold on to the skins. It's to get that which is inside the skin out. How do you get that which is inside the skin out? God puts something inside the skin of humanity. He deposits something in us. It's known as the Spirit of God. It's the juice, the grape juice. It is the wine. It is the blood. This is deposited inside of us, the very life of God. How does it come out? It comes out through squeezing, through pressing. The blood of the grape, also known as wine. You know what the word wine even means? It means to be tread upon. That's what it means. It's that which comes out of treading. That's what wine is. Life come forth through crushing. That's my way of saying it, since most of us don't deal with the word treading very often. Crushing might make a little more sense to us. Life come forth through crushing. The life of the perfect grape. Well, his name was Jesus. The perfect grape, the way a grape ought to be. The way a grape is to be utilized. The full purpose of a grape is realized in Jesus Christ. So we're talking about the life of a grape or the life as a grape. That's Jesus. He's the perfect picture. The life of a grape. Here's a little summary point. Almost like a a little purpose statement that goes with being a grape. The life of a grape. It's tended with joy to be trounced with joy. Okay, now, this is sort of hard to imagine, but the husbandman is the one that tends to the, the vine. The vine is what produces the grapes, a grape vine. And so the grapes grow on a vine, and a husbandman or a vine dresser, whatever your terminology would be for it, a grape caretaker, with great precision, great tenderness, and great affection, cares for his grapes cares for his plants, prunes them back, and to see them grow. But the purpose of a vine is not just to create nice-looking fruit. He tends with joy. A life of a grape is tended with joy to be trounced with joy. I know this seems like somewhat of a dark message. It's anything but. The proverb of the grape... Here's a nice, uh, if this was a Chinese proverb, this is sort of what it would sound like. I made this up, so I don't know what you call it, a Windsorian proverb. The bitter boot releases the sweet wine. In other words, that which is sweetest, that which God desires to bring into this world, is released through the bitter boot. Now, it's not bitter root, it's bitter boot. In other words, it's the heel. 
It's that which crushes the grape, which releases the life of the grape. The glory of the grape. You know that as God's creation, he intends to reveal his glory. One of the statements uh, in Colossians is, Christ in us, the hope of glory. There's a hope of glory in this world. There's a hope that God will once again be seen. How will he be seen? In and through the saints of God. How will this world behold the beauty of Christ? Because it's in us. How will they see it? Well, the glory of a grape is the same as the glory of a man or a woman of God. How is the glory made manifest? How is it revealed to this world? You guys ready for the answer to that? The glory of the grape is not found in its plump redness while nesting cozily amidst the vine, but rather it is found when its inner wine comes forth at the beckoning of the husbandman's squeeze. It's in the squeezing that the grape reveals its truest virtue, beauty, and strength. That which is in the grape must come out. The glory of the grape is in the wine. The glory of the grape in what is in its life that comes out to be shared, to bring life to others. Even when you look at a grape being eaten, it must be expressed. That which is within it is what it's about. And you could prove that just by the fact that if we just had nice little plastic grapes, they wouldn't show the glory of what a grape ought to be. It's not what we're looking for. It's just fake grapes sitting on a vine. It's real grapes. So why do you care between a fake grape and a real grape? It's because the real grape has life in it. It has something to give. And that's what sets it apart and makes it valuable. The mindset of a grape. I'm trying to get you into the mind of a grape. Okay, it's sort of hard, you know, because we don't think like grapes. However, if you're a grape, how do you think? How do you reason? Let's think like a grape. I am built strong to be poured out. And it is in the pouring out that I will rejoice with the greatest fervor. It's when I'm being poured out, because that's my purpose, is to be poured out. What was Jesus here for? Think about it. He wasn't here to just grow strong and be an illustration of how a man ought to live. It's also how a man ought to be crushed to give the life that he has. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Towards what? Towards eternal happiness and comfort? Sort of, but not in the direction you're thinking. God is equipping us to follow Jesus. The pattern that has been set for us. He was built strong to be poured out. He was about the cross. The cross was the wine press. And out of that wine press, do you remember when his side was pierced, what came gushing forth? Blood and water. The wine was crushed out of him. And as a result, rivers of living water came forth. The Spirit of God was made available to us. It's the secret of the church. God deposits something in us. And then we must be, I know it sounds strange, but crushed. So that that wine in us can now be made available to others around us. It is in the crushing that I will leap the highest. And it is in the moments of squeezing that I will sing the loudest. To spill out that which was first spilled into me is my greatest delight. For I am a grape, and I was made to fill my king's cup. Okay, I'm going to read this again. Just in case you're having a tough time swallowing this, I'm just going to go over it again. 
I am built strong to be poured out. Remember, this is the mindset of a grape. A grape has a purpose. And that purpose we read at the very end, to fill the king's cup. I am built strong to be poured out, and it is in the pouring out that I will rejoice with the greatest fervor. It is in the crushing that I will leap the highest, and it is in the moments of squeezing that I will sing the loudest. To spill out that which was first spilled into me is my greatest delight, for I am a grape, and I was made to fill my king's cup. The motto of the grape, to fill my king's cup. Okay, now, I don't know if I can somehow get this to sink down into you, but this is like one of those things where you stick your arm, your fist up in the air, and you shout it. To fill my king's cup! You know how dark life can be? You know how difficult life can be? How do you respond when the grace is coming out of you? When the crushing wine presses upon you, what's coming out? This is what you were built for. You were given strength so that you may give it. And it is given in and through the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties. Is when the grace of God is made manifest in this earth. When the glory of God is seen more clearly is when the saints of God suffer. When the saints of God are suffering, there is an opportunity on this earth unlike any other time for the glory of God to be made manifest. Because who in their right mind leaps higher? Who in their right mind sings louder in such a moment? When you're in a dark prison cell, that isn't the time that normal men and women sing songs. And yet it's when God's men and women sing their songs. We must learn to think like a grape. To fill our king's cup. The tale of two cups. And you notice I put in parentheses two comings. I should have brought up two cups with me. But some of you have heard of the cup of the Lord. Now there's something in scripture, in Corinthians it's referenced as the cup of blessing. And remember Jesus, he says, this is my blood. And he had a cup in his hand. The king has a cup in his hand. And he actually shares it with the disciples, the apostles. And he says, this is my blood. And we'll read the scripture on that in just a second. But there's also another cup. And it can be very confusing because when the king's cup, and it's known as the cup of wrath. And we're, so to fill the king's cup, I'm not actually that interested in filling his cup of wrath. So what cup are we filling? Well, I'm going to describe that for you in a second. The tale of two cups. And you notice it says two comings. The same with Jesus. Jesus had a coming that offered grace. And then he has a coming that is going to offer wrath. Same with his cups. He has a cup full of grace. Filled with his own blood. And he has a cup that is filled with the trampling of his wrath. And, well, I don't really want to go any further into it, but let's just suffice it to say, it's not the cup you want to be filling. Number one, the cup of grace poured out on all that are thirsty for righteousness. There is a cup that the king is pouring out. The vessel filled Jesus, and he pours it out upon all those that are thirsty for righteousness. And he, Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus is basically saying, my body will be crushed. And out of it will be the expression of the juice, the life. To the Jew, wine was life. 
Blood is the life of the body. So wine is the, is the life of a grape. And so Jesus is literally using terminology to show that he will be crushed. And please drink of this. The Jews were not allowed to drink of the blood of any animal. This is prohibited. You're not allowed to do it. Why? Why did God create such a dietary code for his people? Because there is only one one life that you are to drink of. Only one. And that is the life of God. They are being set apart to drink of one life. Only one that should fill them. So Jesus offers this. And it's a covenant meal. Number two, the cup of wrath poured out on all that are thirsty for unrighteousness. You know that you can be thirsty for one of two things. Thirsty for righteousness, thirsty for unrighteousness. If you're thirsty for unrighteousness, you'll get the full effect of it. The wages of it are wrath. It's death. You will end up being fed. Open your mouth wide, you'll get a filling. God will. He forces you to drink. I don't know if I put all the scriptures in here. Let's see if they are in here. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he pours out the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. For thus says the Lord, this is in Jeremiah 25, For thus says the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink it. Cause them to drink it. This ranks up there with every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You may not want to bow, you will. You may not want to confess, you will. You may not want to drink this cup, you will. He forces you to drink it. Very fascinating. Then I took the cup at the Lord's hand and made all the nations to drink unto whom the Lord had sent me. And it shall be, if they refuse to take the cup at thine hand to drink, then shalt thou say unto them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You shall certainly drink. Okay? Uh, If you're thirsty for unrighteousness, you will drink. And you will drink of that cup. That's not the cup that I want to focus on in our time. I want to focus on the time in which we live, and that is the cup of blessing. What I'm referring to is the cup of grace. The life of God has been poured out and it is available to be drunk. Thirsty for righteousness will be satisfied. Open your mouth wide and let him fill it. To fill my king's cup, we fill the king's cup of grace. Who now rejoice in my sufferings. This is Paul talking. This is, this is one of those difficult scriptures to know how to articulate. However, I've created a context Jesus has a cup of grace, and out of this cup of grace, there is a meeting of the deep spiritual need in this world around us. Jesus Christ fills you with his grace, and then you, in a sense, become an instrument of passing that grace along to others. And so God gives you grace so that you can give Jesus to others. And so that which you have drank, you, in a sense, are filled up so that others may drink, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Somehow, through the afflictions of Paul, there is a filling up. And what is it to benefit? It's to benefit the church, the body of Christ. You see, somehow, Paul's afflictions are actually enabling the grace of God to be given to the church of Jesus Christ. It's almost like you're crushed. Someone's thirsty next to you. You're crushed. And out of you comes juice to satisfy them. 
This is the principle. There are afflictions that are not yet fulfilled. There is more that must be done. Remember how I talked about the sweet wine is the initial expression that comes out of the vat? There also seems to be more treading that is necessary of the other grapes that follow. When he opened the fifth seal, this is in Revelation, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until, listen to this, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. There seems to be a filling up of this cup of grace where it's meant that there are those that must die as others have died. That there is a necessary affliction of the body of Christ to express out that grace that is needed in this world. I can't articulate all of this and I can't make a huge comment on it, but I can say this is what the Word of God says. And so in the most simplistic sense, there is affliction that is necessary for the saints of God for God to accomplish His purposes in this earth. Somehow, through the crushing of grapes, there is a satisfaction that is brought to the saints of God. There is a glory that is made manifest in this earth when a grape is crushed and that which is deposited in it is made available to others. This is a very fascinating scripture in 2 Corinthians 1 and also uh, chapter 4 as well. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds. There is something that God gives. This consolation is the word that is used uh, here in the translation. This encouragement, this building up, this strengthening. Consolation is the word translated. But for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds. You want strength? You want grace? You want the comfort of Almighty God? Where does it come? It comes in suffering and through suffering. That when the suffering increases, so does the grace. So does the strength. It's directly proportionate. So, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And so therefore, Paul gets afflicted and guess who benefits? The body of Christ. He gets crushed and guess who drinks the cup of grace? Those around. The body of Christ. So it, so it says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation, your strengthening, your building up. And salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out, this is an actual term used of grapes, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. That when we were in Asia, we were put in the wine press, and out of us came everything that we had. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Listen to the reason why. This is the conclusion. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. How is the glory seen? When we bear about the death and the dying of our Lord Jesus. The crushing. How did he die? 
He was crushed so that there would be an expression of the life within him. This is our pattern. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Listen to this. This is another conclusive statement. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, in our mortal bodies. So then, listen to this last line. So then death works in us. The crushing, the pressing, the squeezing, the trials work in us, but life in you. Death works in the grape so that others can partake of the juice. Do you see it? We are filling a cup. And Jesus, you fill up his cup, and what does he, who does he share it with? He shares it with the dying, the weak, and the lost, and the lonely, the orphaned, and the widow, and the imprisoned. He gives all of his strength away. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He saves us to the uttermost. He gave up everything to give you his life. Now you have his life, and what does he ask of you? Give up everything. There are weak ones around you, and you have strength inside of you. If you were around someone that was thirsty, and you desperately desired them to have drink, and you knew that by the crushing of you, they could have drink, that's Christianity. It's saying, God, I have something, but the way for them to have it means that I must die. And as a result, we die all the day long so that the grace of God would be made manifest in this earth, so that the glory of God would be seen in this earth. The training of a grape. Ellerslie, uh, we could call it, this could be a new way of describing it, uh, the training of grapes. You see, there's two key dimensions to the training of a grape, so that a grape fulfills its course, fulfills its purpose. A grape has a job to do. And if that grape just hangs on the vine and doesn't relinquish its life and doesn't say, no, I have a purpose beyond just hanging out in this vine, guess what? The grape will never fulfill its purpose, and what will happen to it? It will wither up. You see, a grape is meant to come to a point of ripeness, or we could say readiness, to be sent, to be given, to be spent. I know the word crushed isn't very intriguing and attractive to us, but that's exactly what it is. And guess what? It is accompanied with rejoicing. Always accompanied with shouts and rejoicing, leaping, dancing. I know it seems backwards, but that is the kingdom of heaven. This is not our end. This is the means by which the glory of God is being made manifest in this earth. And so, though the world would mourn and go into woeful despondency... We as the saints of God recognize that God is doing something in and through even the enemy's attempt to trounce us. He takes all that the enemy is up to. Every time the heel of the enemy even attempts to squash us, out comes life into this world. So no matter if it's God's heel or it's the enemy's heel, out comes life. That is Christianity. The training of a grape. Number one. We must learn to embrace the crushing. There's nothing worse than a grape that refuses to be a grape. A grape that complains and argues and attempts to attach itself to the vine and just wants the tender season of care does not want to be relinquished unto its calling. 
That's a hard grape to deal with. Aren't we glad that grapes don't have wills of their own? Could you imagine what this would be like? This grape is like locked onto the branch and you're trying to cut it off. You see, a grape must embrace the crushing. Now, this isn't doomsday. Like I've always said, the tribulation, we have this whole concept in Christianity of the last days. Well, yeah, there's something called the last days. It's a biblical concept. But guess whose last days it is? It's Satan's. Not ours. We're not the ones in woeful despondency, fear, and trepidation. This is his end. The enemy can't touch us. Even if he kills us, we live. We triumph. The enemy cannot sink us. We are Cheerios and milk. Push us down and bloop, we come right back to the surface. (laughs) We are like that little creature that is caught in uh, resin. No matter if they take a sledgehammer out and beat it, the resin block can fly around the room. But guess what? That which is inside the resin is untouched and unmoved, though it be thrown about the room. And though it be hit with the most mighty force, we are held in the hollow of his hand. May we not mistake the fact that our God wins. Our God wins, and greater is he that is in us than anything out there that would attempt to sabotage what God is doing in us. So learn to embrace the crushing, and two, learn to be crushed well. There's a way that you need to be crushed. A screaming grape? No. And yet, our natural propensity is to get to the day of our crushing and to break down, and to lose our composure, and to scream, and to be fearful. There's a way of being crushed well. And this is what I want us to begin to learn as the saints of God. Lesson one, the beauty of the crushing. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so, also, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. So with suffering increases strength and grace. And so every time you see suffering, it doesn't make it easy, but you recognize that grace increases. And so there's part of you that with a wink and a smile can say, thank you, Jesus, in all circumstances. And you can say, I know that you are in control. And I know that you are bigger than anything the enemy is up to in this situation. No matter what the enemy wields, I know you win. And so we say, watch what our God will do. This is Paul's conclusion in Philippians 3. He's gone on a rampage of saying that it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. His concluding remarks, that I may know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Being made conformable unto his death. This is Paul's drive. He wants it. He wants to share in the fellowships of that wine press. He wants to share in the crushing that Jesus went through. Why? What's wrong with this guy? Because that's what he's built for. Jesus came and enunciated to Paul's soul, this is what a man is built for, to reveal the glory, and this is how the the glory comes out. You look for the hinge point in all history. When was life made available to you? When did you receive the grace? Where does it come from? It comes from the crushing of a grape known as Jesus. That's when the grace was made manifest. That's the glory of God made manifest. There's no greater picture in all of history, in all of universal history, of 
the glory of God than the cross of Jesus Christ. And what was the cross but a crushing of a grape? This is where the glory is found. Paul, to die is game. It means advantageous, better than. To die is actually an improvement. I know there's another part to this scripture. I'm about to read it, but I want you to meditate upon this just for a second. This is what Paul says. How many of us tremble at the thought of death? It's like, no, 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 I can't handle that. To die is gain. That's a Paul statement, fact in scripture. For to me to live is Christ. This is the whole scripture, by the way. This is the context in Philippians 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, or the body, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Did you see that? Which is far better to be with Christ. He even acknowledges it's far better to be with Christ. And so I'm pressed on both sides, because you need me here. Oh, do I long to be with Jesus, to die as gain. So I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Welcome to fatherhood, right there. When you fall in love with Jesus Christ, all you want is to be with Jesus Christ. And yet, guess what? I have work to do down here. There's a job for me to do. I may want to be with Jesus Christ, and I'm hard-pressed in this matter. Please, Jesus, I want to be with you. However, it's needful that I'm here right now. It's Christianity. We'll be here as long as God wants us to be here. However, there's a longing, and there's an understanding that the crushing brings us to the advantage, to the better place. The crushing is not our end. It's the beginning. We do not look at it as a negative We understand it to literally be bringing us into greater life. We are confident, says Paul, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul says this multiple times. Thou fool, that which thou sows is not quickened except it die. In other words, talking about a seed. The seed does not actually have life to exert its strength unless it falls into the ground and dies. And Jesus says the same thing in John 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Out of death comes forth fruit. So this is my grape rendition of this. Thou fool... The life of the grape is not released unless it is crushed. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grape be crushed beneath the heel and die, its juice is its own and not imparted. But if it be crushed, it sheds forth its wine. Truth number one. So this is, remember out of the first two things we're going to train how to be a grape, the training of a grape. And we had two different dimensions. The first one is you need to understand the beauty of the crushing. You need to understand the beauty of dying. This is not a negative thing. I know that there's a pall cast upon it. It's not that we're excited for death. It's that we understand that it is an avenue into greater life. Truth number one, to die is gain. This is the truth. So I, I translate it into grape truth number one. To be crushed is wine in our king's cup. 
In other words, no matter what happens to us, to die is gain. Now, that's not just physical death. That's just the dying that comes inherently in Christianity. It's just there. There's a dying, dying to self daily. There's a giving up of my rights. And with every bit of the dying, you know what's happening? We're filling the king's cup. So as a result, there's rejoicing. You mean, God, as I'm going through this difficulty down here, it's actually increasing your glory and your grace unto those around me. Praise God. Though this be difficult, thank you that it is being leveraged to the fullest extent to bring glory to your name. It's not needless suffering. It is always purposeful, even if it comes from the boot of the enemy. God makes it worth it. So whatever degree of suffering we go through, there is juice being made available to a dying world. Our God's cup is being filled to his pleasure. To be crushed is wine in our king's cup. Lesson number two, being great at being crushed. I don't know how many of us have ever been trained in being crushed. It's a strange thing to study. But there is a way to, as the extraordinary courage, the message says, to die well. There's a way to die poorly, and there's a way to die well. There was a movie that came out uh, in the 70s that was about the end times. I'm not a fan of this movie. And it, was, it showed Christians being taken to, I think it was a chopping block or something, and they were screaming with fear and trepidation. No, don't take me! That is so opposite of historic Christianity. Completely opposite. As far as I'm concerned, that was one of the most damaging movies to the saints of God that has ever come out. There were little children that would wake up in the night with night terrors because of that. I don't know that I want to be a Christian. Come on! Have you ever studied the saints of God throughout the ages that went to being fed to the lions rejoicing? We are not being torn apart. We are being built stronger. We must have heaven's eyesight to see the reality of what's taking place. Praise God. Ignatius, when he was told he was going to be fed to the lions, Ignatius was the disciple of John the Apostle. Ignatius, when he was told he was going to be fed to the lions, rejoiced. And he said, my salvation has finally come. And he called the lions, get this, his friends, for they were the ones that were going to take him into the presence of his beloved. Who thinks that way? We do. No matter what the enemy brings out, God turns it into a great good. I have lions to devour your body. Praise God, they take me to Jesus. They're like, that wasn't the response we were looking for. (laughs) They want to strike terror in you. The enemy works as a terrorist. But if we don't respond with terror, guess what? The enemy loses. We rejoice. And it actually is leveraged into a military device in this earth, in this universe, to destroy the powers of hell. We will see souls unlocked when we respond properly instead of according to the enemy's agenda. Being great at being crushed. The two attributes of every triumphant crushing. So let's break it down. There are two key attributes that when a grape is being crushed, we as the saints of God must be built towards and for. The first one is patience. I know that doesn't make any sense yet, 
but I'm going to define it for you at a, at a greater level. Patience. And you're thinking, what in the world? Why is patience one of the big two? And you're thinking, I have patience. I can stand in front of my microwave and not complain for a minute. That's not what patience is. And number two, rejoicing. I don't know how many of you would ever naturally think of sticking rejoicing in to the picture of suffering. God does. He's the one that sticks it in. It's not me. I wouldn't naturally do it either. But I tell you what, God's brilliant and he knows what he's doing. Have you ever heard that statement, the weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds? And we're like, what are our weapons anyways? This is one of them. How you suffer literally leads to one of the greatest punches in the gut to the enemy that there could possibly be. It's like a nuclear bomb planted in his chest. He cannot handle the detriment that it brings. When he comes against you and you respond this way, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Fox's Book of Martyrs, The Martyrdom of James the Great. As James was led to the place of martyrdom, his accuser was brought to repent of his conduct by the apostle's extraordinary courage and undauntedness. Okay, I need to give you a little background. James was betrayed, and he was accused of by some man. So we know he has an accuser. And this accuser was witnessing how James handled the suffering that he was going through. And he was so moved by James's conduct, by the apostle's extraordinary courage and undauntedness. He's completely fearless. He's walking to his death. And he's undaunted with an extraordinary courage. In fact, it was so moving to this man that this man repented. And this man, I, I don't want to steal the thunder of this quote. So it says he was... The accuser was brought to repent of his conduct by the apostle's extraordinary courage and undauntedness and fell down at his feet to request his pardon. Professing himself a Christian, the man became a Christian. Why? Because he witnessed the glory of God being made manifest through James's suffering. Follow me? And fell down at his feet to request his pardoning, professing himself a Christian, resolving that James should not receive the crown of martyrdom alone. Hence, they were both beheaded at the same time. Thus did the first apostolic martyr cheerfully and resolutely receive that cup, which he had told our Savior he was ready to drink. So with patience, remember how I said there were two attributes that we need to learn to be crushed properly? We must have patience. When you do well and suffer for it and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So God's making it very clear. Okay, so when you're suffering... You need to take it patiently. And we're like, what in the world does that mean? Here's our Greek word. And you see the, the pronunciation guide I have right underneath? That's an Eric Ludi pronunciation guide. Hoopomeno. See, I can really do it. And the emphasis is on the men. You notice that? So I'm even sticking my emphases in now. Hoopomeno. Hoopomeno. How's that? All of you grammaticians in here. Okay. This is what it means. Follow closely. The brave, calm, and steadfast courage of the Christian soul. You're in unmoved. You're unshaken. You're undaunted. To remain unmoved, to not recede or flee. To stand fast amidst the most severe, the most most, just in case you're wondering. We want to emphasize most in this sentence, obviously. The most most uh, severe misfortunes and trials and to hold fast one's faith in Christ to the end. To endure and bear ill treatments bravely 
and calmly. Patience. I want to read that to you again. To remain unmoved, to not recede or flee, to stand fast amidst the most most severe misfortunes and trials, and to hold fast one's faith in Christ to the end, to endure and bear ill treatments bravely and calmly. Following the example, facing death like Jesus. How did Jesus face death? Well, with patience. Talk about calm. Talk about bravery. He, the wrath of God was poured out upon this man, who was God. But he demonstrated patience. What soul strength, though he's being falsely accused, and though he's the king of all kings, he goes silent unto slaughter. Who is this guy? He's the very one that dwells within us. So if you want to learn to die well, get to know Jesus. Let him teach you how to die well in every moment in your life. When difficulties come, you die as Christ died in every situation. You don't just expect to be great and to die well someday in the future if you stink at dying now. God gives us opportunity to be prepared and trained and built strong as a soldier for dying well. And when you do well and suffer for it and you take it with hupomeno, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called. Did you just hear that? You were called to suffer for your doing well. What? what kind of calling is that? You're a grape. For even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He left us an example. Whose steps are we supposed to follow? Uh-huh. King Grape. The ultimate grape has literally set for us a model. And he says, look, you're all grapes. You just don't know it. You don't know how to be a grape. So I'm going to come down and be a grape like you. And I'm going to show you how a grape functions. Did you see that? Okay, the Father sent me to show you how to be a grape. Now I'm going to send you to be a grape like me. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure until the end. You know what that word endure is? Hupomeno. It's the patience word. But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. So here's my amplified version of that. You see where it's, it's bold there? That's me taking the word endure out and sticking in, show a brave, calm, and a steadfast courage. So let's read this. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall show a brave calm and a steadfast courage unto the end, the same shall be saved. This is an imperative element and attribute of the Christian soul, completely void in training today in Christianity. We complain and mutter when we go through difficulty. This is how we live. We show a brave calm and a steadfast courage in all circumstances. No matter the difficulty, when we are reviled and hated, look at these other scriptures, rejoicing in hope, patient, that's hupomeno, in tribulation. Hupomeno in tribulation, showing a brave calm and a steadfast courage, continuing instant in prayer. So I, this is my amplified version. Rejoicing in hope, showing a brave calm and a steadfast courage in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and hupomenos all things. So love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And here's my amplified version, just in case you're still trying to figure out what Eric's doing. 
and shows a brave, calm, and a steadfast courage in all things. All. Every circumstance, every dying, every difficulty, all things, you show the brave, calm, and the steadfast courage. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, that's supermeno, by the way, the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him, Jesus, that endured, that's supermeno, such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Why am I going through this? Why, God? Well, consider. It says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. This goes with being a grape. Didn't anyone ever teach you this? See, we're the church of Jesus Christ that has not been trained how to die well. We don't know. It's not our fault. We just have not been groomed in being crushed. And as a result, instead of allowing the full flavor and beauty, strength and virtue of the wine that is within us to come out and to bless and to bring glory to Jesus Christ, some of us, you know, we have a little bit of an attempt at thanking God in the midst of it. But we haven't been the vessels that can truly be used Our skin is emptied and every single thing in us is given for you, Lord Jesus, for you. So here's our amplified version of this one. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him with a brave, calm, and a steadfast courage endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that so bravely and courageously endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Remember there were two things that we needed to die well with? Patience and joy, or rejoicing, I think is the term I used. With joy. It doesn't fit, does it? You don't think of dancing at a funeral. And to be honest, there is a time to mourn. And so I do not want to, in the process of going through this, diminish the fact that there is an inerrant sadness in loss. This is a big picture understanding of how the soul works. When we are going through difficulty, yes, there is a human dimension of mourning, grief, and loss. If I lost my family, guess what? That would be painful. There's no doubt about it. And so grief and loss and mourning, you know what? There's a comforter for these things, and it's perfectly part of even the Christian expression. In the soul state, we must be watchful of our souls to not give way to despair, but to leap up and to say, I trust my God. And to allow the song of Jesus to begin to come out. Allow the dancing of Jesus to come out. For out of this despair and out of this darkness will come a glorious light. That is our confidence in every difficulty. God will win. God will express his grace. God will get glory. And as a result, there is a triumphant rejoicing. Rejoice always. You know what? That covers a lot of ground. Always. You know that if anyone knew about suffering and difficulty, it was the one writing that statement. And he says, no, rejoice always. 
And I have a different message which talks about rejoicing, but the concept is joying over and over and over and over again, to redo it, to joyce. And most of us don't look at the word as joyce, but to joyce. I'm joicing. Well, now you need to rejoice. Do it again. Do it again. Again, always, always, again, I say rejoice. We are grieved by many trials, and yet we greatly rejoice. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's a strange time to rejoice, by the way. We are grieved by many trials. We are reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused, and yet, blessed are we. Let us rejoice and be exceeding glad. We are partakers of Christ's sufferings, and yet, we may be glad with exceeding joy. We endure tribulations, and yet, we are exceeding joyful. You catching the point? Somehow, remember how I said that the, the vintage of the grapes in the Jewish culture, the, the pressing of the grapes is in September, which isn't the point I want to point out, but it was always accompanied with rejoicing. When grapes are crushed, there is rejoicing. That's Hebrew culture. When Jesus is crushed, that is one of the most greatest tragedies and travesties in the history. Well, it is the greatest tragedy and travesty in the history of the universe. That the innocent king of all kings would be crushed. However, it's for the joy that is set before him that he endured with a brave calm and a steadfast courage. He knew he needed to give us what was in him. He had the spirit. He had the juice of the grape. And for it to get to us, he must be crushed. That's the same way we live. That which God has deposited in me must get into the king's cup. We face trials and testings, and yet we count it all joy. You guys ever heard of the grapes of wrath? Mm -hmm. Classic uh, literature. I'm actually not a huge fan of the book. It's somewhat depressing. Uh, the grapes of grace. There's grapes of wrath. Yes, they exist. There's also grapes of grace. The ones that are crushed to fill the king's cup of grace. To edify the saints. To build up the church. To bring glory to the king of kings. They're called grapes of grace. Well, we don't want to be grapes of wrath. We want to be grapes of grace. So let me introduce you to some of them. Stephen was stoned. Philip was crucified. Matthew was slain with the sword. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned and clubbed. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Mark was dragged to pieces. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and then crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Luke was hung. Simon was crucified. John was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and removed unscathed and exiled to Patmos. Did we have Peter on there? Huh, Peter's not on there. Peter was crucified upside down. You guys ever heard of Andrew? Of course you have. The brother of Peter? Andrew was brought in before the governor Aegeus, and he was told to stop preaching about this Jesus and about this cross. And I always picture sort of like a It's a Wonderful Life type of situation with Potter. And remember, and Jimmy Stewart has this little like chair on the other side. And I look at it sort of the same way, and uh, Governor Aegeus is like, You will stop! And this was his threat. Otherwise, I will crucify you on a cross too. His threat was that what happened to Jesus and this cross that you're preaching about, I will crucify you on one too. Okay, you guys ready for Andrew's response? I would not have preached the glory of the cross of Christ if I was not first willing to die upon it. 
I would not have called myself a grape if I didn't first understand that a grape must be crushed. You're going to call yourself a grape? Beware. I would not have called myself a Christian if I was also not first and foremost willing to die the same death as Jesus. They will bring out the gibbets. They will bring out the crucifixion scenes afresh, the chopping blocks, the stakes. It comes with being a Christian all throughout history. Just study it. We live in America, which can sort of blur the lines, and we start to think that it's different now. And everything's altered. And now Christianity can fit in with this world and it can just coexist just fine. That's fake Christianity. Sure. Ironically, even fake Christianity is detested by the world. True Christianity brings about one of two things. Revival or revilement. I said that the other day on accident and I liked it. So I'm using it today. (laughs) Revival or revilement. It either causes them to change, be transformed, and the renewing of a culture where everything is altered because Jesus is allowed in. Or they build crosses afresh in our honor. Truth number two. I gave you a truth at the end of the first one, which was the concept of the beauty of the crushing must once again be realized. And this is the one about dying well or being crushed well. This is the truth that goes with it. This is a Chinese proverb, real gold fears no fire. I've been pondering that a lot. That is just an amazing statement. Real gold fears no fire. A true grape that knows its purpose does not fear the treading, does not fear the squeezing, does not fear the crushing because that's its purpose. You see, when you are what you ought to be and you understand what the purpose of what you ought to be is, it gives you freedom to be what you ought to be and there's no fear in it. We do not fear the crushing. If you are gold, you do not fear the fire. If you're true gold, if you have a lot of impurities in you, guess what? Well, you know what? That fire is going to be rather intimidating. But when you're real gold, you do not fear it. It only proves how real you are. So here's the grape rendition of it. The grape truth number two. The king's grapes fear no heel. Is that said of us? Truly, could people observe our life and could it be said of us that we fear no heel, no tribulation, no trial, no difficulty? We need to grow up as the saints of God. This is, this is not an easy message. However, it's truth. The king's grapes fear no heel. To live as Christ, to die as gain. The grape twist on a timeless truth. So this is the grape twist and a timeless truth, by the way. To live is to hold the juice of Christ within. Which, by the way, is amazing. If any of you have had the intimate closeness of knowing Jesus in this body, of being filled with his grace and walking in stride with him, of knowing the God of the universe on a first-name basis, to live is Christ. To live is to hold the juice of Christ within. Can you think of anything better than that? Well, yeah. To be crushed is to give the juice of Christ to others and to fill my king's cup with pleasure. That's the grape twist on this. Let me read it again for you. To live is to hold the juice of Christ within. 
To be crushed is to give the juice of Christ to others and to fill my king's cup with pleasure. Now, by the way, when we die daily, you know what happens? We give up the juice we have, and you know what God does? He increases our capacity to hold more juice. There's actually no downside to losing your juice. You never really lose the juice. That's what's funny in Christianity. Even though you're expressing it and you're giving it, you get more. And if you give up your life, guess what? It's not like you're without juice for the rest of eternity. You have unlimited access to it face to face. There's no complaint in Christianity. We rejoice in every situation. What the enemy means for evil, God turns it to good. And what God means to better us only betters us. We get stronger. We get plumper as grapes. And then if we're squashed, there's more juice to give. We have the ability to participate in the king's adventure. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And if we simply yield to him and say, these grape skins belong to you, fill them. And then take of that juice any way you want. It's his vine, and we are his grapes. There is always a reason to leap. I would defy you to try and come up with a reason in this universe that we don't leap. In every situation, in every circumstance, God wins. Because no matter how dark of a turn it is, our God will take that dark turn, and he will turn it into a picture of his glory. No matter what weapon is fashioned against us, you know that it will not prosper in the end? I know that Lazarus laid in the tomb for four days. I recognize that he looked dead. And to all, for all practical purposes, God had failed. It didn't look good. God had said, this sickness will not end in death. And yet here we have a dead man in a tomb for four days. Jesus seems to be gone. He's not even interested in what's taking place. Didn't he care about Lazarus, Mary, and Martha? Where is he when we need him? I recognize what it looks like on the outside, but there's a greater glory coming. I recognize what it looks like. We as Christians are asked to walk through those exact situations and trust that our God will not fail us. We trust the fact that our God is bigger than any circumstances we see around us. And in the end, he will prove wholly justified and good. And if we allow it, God will turn these circumstances that the enemy is boasting about and mocking us with, and he will turn them into a picture of his great grace. There is always a reason to leap. Now, I don't know, a lot of you in here have heard my messages on leaping. I'm not a leaping sort of guy naturally. I think I said to the students, I don't know, it was this week or last week, I don't run around with banners and I don't, you know, do flips uh, for Jesus and things like that. I'm learning to leap. I have a lot of difficult things that come my way and I'm learning that the first thing I do is get air beneath my feet because it's a statement to the heavenlies, I know my God wins. I don't care how dark it sounds. I'm getting air. Praise God. Watch what my God will do. Faith is my first turn, not despair. The enemy wants to terrorize. We respond with faith and confidence that our God wins. There is always a reason to leap. So here's a summary of what we went through. The life of a grape. It's tended with joy to be trounced with joy. The proverb of the grape. The bitter boot releases the sweet wine. The glory of the grape. 
The glory of the grape is not found in its plump redness while nesting cozily amidst the vine, but rather it is found when its inner wine comes forth at the beckoning of the husbandman's squeeze. It's in the squeeze that the grape reveals its truest virtue, beauty, and strength. The mindset of a grape. I am built strong to be poured out, and it is in the pouring that I will rejoice with the greatest fervor. It is in the crushing that I will leap the highest. It is in the moments of squeezing that I will sing the loudest. To spill out that which was first spilled into me is my greatest delight. For I am a grape, and I was made to fill my king's cup. And the motto of the grape. To fill my king's cup. You want to bring difficulty to my life. You hit me, all it's doing is filling up my king's cup. You kill me, it only fills up my king's cup. You hurt the people I love, it's only going to fill up the king's cup. No matter what the enemy devises against us, if we stand as Christians, the cup of our king, the cup of his grace is filled. There's no downside. We can rejoice. Does that mean we allow the perpetration of darkness in our age? Does that mean we sit by and do nothing? Of course not. We are men and women of justice, and we will defend the cause of the poor and the needy. However, we must trust that no matter what the enemy seems to be getting away with, he is not getting away with anything. Our God wins. Notice that grapes don't grow by themselves. They grow in clusters. Remember that first picture of the cluster of grapes? Very rarely do we ever talk about a singular grape. It's a cluster of grapes, but then it's not just even a cluster of grapes. It's a vine full of clusters of grapes. You see, Jesus is the true picture. We are his body. We are an extension of him, which is why we're the ones that hold the juice of the grape in us. We're his body. There is something precious, and we were talking about it this morning. I had a group of men I was talking with about the concept of intimacy uh, in the body of Christ. And one of the statements that was made is that in a time of war, you bond. You bond close. Because that shrapnel is flying around everyone. And I tell you what, if we cluster as grapes the way God intended us to, and we function the way the body of Christ is is meant to, you know what? When we're crushed, there's more juice. There's more juice when we share in someone else being crushed and we allow our juice to seep out as well. Do you know that there's more grace and there's more glory that comes out of every circumstance? And so when the enemy trounces, guess what? When the body of Christ draws near and clusters, there's more sweetness that comes out. There's more glory that is made manifest. I want to encourage you not to try and isolate yourself and also not to fear being near those that are being tested, but to share in one another's sufferings, to identify, to rejoice when they rejoice, but to also weep with those who are weeping. Let's be grapes as God intended grapes to be. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. 
Please, feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.